thanks for worshiping with us today, everybody. Thanks for being here and uh, just sharing in this time of praise to God, sharing this time of communion with one another and with the Savior. Hope that you have been uplifted by the time that you have, have spent here already today. Hey, we're closing up the grand event. We've got a couple more weeks left. If you are uh, new to our midst, we have been over the last few weeks walking through a passage from the book of Second Peter. I encourage you to open up there now, if you would. It's at the end of your Bibles, at the end there of your New Testament. Uh, you can go to Revelation and just flip back a few pages, and you'll find, it'll say Second Peter. It's the second letter that we know of that we have that the Apostle Peter wrote to the churches. And we have been going through this particular text, looking, looking at the very beginning of chapter 1 as he, as he puts out a proclamation to Christians and it's one that we needed to be able to hear. Because what we've been trying to do during the entire year of 2016 is follow more closely to Jesus in his footsteps. We've been working on our discipleship. We've been trying to discover what it truly means to have the thoughts of Christ and have those thoughts then turn into action. We've been trying to figure out what it means to, to have the heart of Christ so that we would have a heart in tune with our Father, that we would want to listen to the directions of God, and we would go where He would send us, and that we would, we would be challenged, and we would be sometimes even disciplined by His very voice, all because of the heart that we have. But it can be difficult to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. It can be, it's a hard thing to try to figure out exactly what it is that Jesus wants for us. And so all through 2016, we have been trying to discover what it means to to be disciples. And so as we're winding down this year, which is hard to believe, we're coming to the end of another year together. We have been walking through Peter's words to the church in 2 Peter. And he says in verse 3 that we have been given everything we need to live a godly life. Everything. For those of you that are here, you say, I really would love to live a godly life. I want to be a disciple. I want to follow in Jesus' footsteps. I want to have his heart, and I want to have his thoughts, and I, I want to be like Christ. God says, listen, you have everything you need. I've given you everything you need to live a godly life. And what we found as we've gone through this study is that while God has given us everything that we need, discipleship is an active process. It's not a passive one. See, God said, I've given you what you need. Now you need to gather that up, and you need to make it be an important part of your life. You need to bring certain things into your life that maybe weren't there before when, when you were walking in your own steps and going in your own direction. So, but now that you're following after Christ, he says, everything you need to live godly is there. And there's some things that I want you to pick up along the way, along the journey that are going to help you look more like my son. So you need to know discipleship is not something that's just going to happen to you. It doesn't just happen because you come and sit in some kind of a church building every week or every other week. It's not just going to happen because you listen to a certain radio station. It's something that takes place because you actively follow after Jesus Christ and you, you begin along the way to pick up the different things that are beside you, these different virtues that Peter is going to talk about. The good news is we don't have to do it alone because discipleship is a communal experience. It's not solitary. 
It's something that we do together. And that's why you're here this morning. And that's why we come together for times like this to, to worship. It's why we have our Bible class opportunities that we will be in. And, and remember, we have Bible classes that meet after our worship time this morning. We have groups that get together on Sunday nights. We have different groups that get together during the week. We have Bible studies that go on all during the week. And these are opportunities for disciples to come together and to be encouraged by one another. To hold one another accountable. To lift up each other's arms and to, to wrap arms around one another. And to cry and to rejoice. And these are times to pick one another up and say, we can keep moving. We can follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It's a communal experience. And we need this community because in order for us truly to be disciples, we have to believe that we can actually become who it is that Jesus has called us to be. We have to believe that discipleship can be lived. That if Jesus says you can turn the other cheek, you can. That if he says that there can be patience that wells up in your life, that it truly can take place. If he says that you can be a more forgiving person, then you realize I can be that individual. and I don't have to harbor all of this bitterness and all of this anxiety towards another individual. You realize that what Jesus has called you to be, the changes that he's asked for you to go through, the temptation he's asked you to walk through, the, the discouragement he's asked you to overcome, all of these things can be accomplished because Christ says, listen, if I've called you to follow me, I truly believe that you can walk in my footsteps. And so together, we have been walking through 2 Peter chapter 1. If you have that text, I encourage you to look. It says, by his divine power, verse 3, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to add to your faith, moral character, and to moral character, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, patient endurance, and patient endurance, godliness, and godliness, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection, love. Because the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what we're going for. We want to grow in the knowledge that we have of Christ, understanding what it truly means to be his disciple. And so we've got two more virtues that we're going to be looking at today and then also next week. And so we come to verse 7 where it says, make every effort to add to your faith and the NIV text says mutual affection. Now, it's interesting how this particular word has been translated through the years. And I say it's interesting because depending on what Bible you might be setting and looking at, you might have a, a different word that's there. You might have something that says brotherly affection that I, like I read earlier from the New Living Translation. You might have the mutual affection. You might have brotherly kindness there. Or you might have something that says brotherly love. Over time, translators have tried their best to figure out how to convey the meaning. But here's the weird thing. The original word that he used isn't something that's confusing. 
Peter uses a word that, that you know very well. It's the word Philadelphia. Just like you know the city of brotherly love, it's the word that he uses right here. He says, listen, I want you to add to your faith, and I want you to add Philadelphia to it. Now, when you look through your Bible, sometimes you might find where it says brotherly kindness. And one of the reasons that perhaps the translators have chosen to, to go with the idea of kindness is because right after this, he says, I want you to add to your faith love. And so people wouldn't get confused. Instead of translating this as brotherly love, over time it started to be translated as brotherly kindness so that it would say brotherly kindness and then add to brotherly kindness love. So people wouldn't say, well, well, brotherly love and love, aren't they kind of the same thing? What's the difference? But he uses two different words there for love. And, and you've heard some of these before, how that Philadelphia is a word for love and also how agape is a word for love. And we'll talk about that one next week. But you need to understand, it's not that Peter is trying to say, listen, I want you to take one level of love and add to your faith, and then I want you to take another level of love and put it on there, like one wasn't enough. That's not the point that he's getting at. You see, if Peter wanted to, if he truly wanted to talk about the idea of kindness, there were words that he could have put in here. Two different words that he could have used that would have done a great job of saying, listen, I want you to display brotherly kindness to others. One referred to the fact that once you have goodness within you, that it expresses itself through kindness and through good deeds. The second deals with the love toward mankind that expresses itself through acts of generosity. Uh, it's the word where we get our philanthropy from and the idea of being a philanthropist. But he doesn't use those words to talk about kindness. He specifically says, listen, I want you to add to your faith Philadelphia, brotherly love. And I think he uses this word because it means that you have to care for me up close and personal. It's not just something that you can do from a distance. You can't just put some, some clothes on a rack. You can't just hang some coats on a rack and hope somebody comes and picks them up. You can't just go and, and write a check and give it to someone far off or somebody that's in need. Philadelphia is something that takes place face-to-face, -face and it's a hands-on process. Because unless I am willing to bear with you and you with me, putting up with each other and all of our oddness and weirdness and, and prickliness, then all we really have is philanthropy. And that's nice enough, but it's a sad substitute for Philadelphia. Philadelphia asks and answers the question of who is my brother? Who is my sister? Have you ever wondered that before? Have you ever wondered who it is that, that you are to show brotherly kindness toward? I mean, who is your brother after all? Who is your, who is your sister? Philadelphia asks and answers that question. So when he uses this word, he does so so that we would stop what we are doing and that we would be actually shocked if we were the original audience. Because he uses this word, but he changes it just subtly. You see, for the Greeks, there was a distinction. There was a distinction with this particular word in that it was always used to talk about the familial relationship. It was the idea that blood was thicker than water. And that there was a connection that could not be broken. And that was the way for the Greeks, that's the way they understood it. You were blood brothers. You had a bond. You had a connection. But what we're going to see is that Peter takes that distinction 
and he changes it ever so slightly so that those who are not blood-related in the world would need to have the same spirit. Now, another reason I think that he uses these two different words, two different words for love back-to-back is to get across a point to his audience, and the point is this. Philadelphia is to love what God loves, and agape is to love as God loves. Or to put it another way, the first is to love whom God does, and the other to love in the way that God does. So we'll talk next week about what it means to to love as God, but what I want us to focus on here is this idea of loving the people that God loves. You love who God loves. And I said that for Philadelphia, it was so common outside of biblical uses. And it was a word that meant that you were from the same father, not necessarily the same mother, but you were from the same father. And, and for the pagans, Philadelphia was this way of saying that family always sticks together. You can't separate us. And so then Peter comes in and he flips it inside out. It still means in the hands of Peter and also in, in John and Paul, who would also use this word, it means about a love between brothers or a love between brother and sister. But it no longer means that you have to be a a blood relative. It means not that those who share a bloodline, but those who have been washed in the blood of Christ. And it's a revolutionary way of thinking about things. Because the New Testament hijacks a term that was meant to be exclusive and opens the door to allow others to come in to experience that same bond and that same connection together. It's the deeper and it's a more radical shift that Peter goes on to make. It's not so much redefining brotherhood and sisterhood. Here's what Peter does. He redefines fatherhood. He uses the same root there for Philadelphia. It's that love between those who come from the same father. But the question is not that you and I leave asking, who is my brother or who is my sister? Who is it that is connected with me? The question that we leave asking is, who is my father? If Philadelphia is all about having love for the brother that is from the same father, then who's my father? Remember Jesus' prayer saying, My father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And here's the point that Peter wants to give to us. If my father is God and your father is God, then we are children of the same father. And that makes us kin. That makes us brother and sister. And if I love the Father, I will also love what the Father loves. And more than anything, that means that I will love his children. And I'll love his children that's sitting over here. And I'll love his children that are sitting in the back. And I'll love his children that are sitting here in the front. And I'll love his children that are over here. And I'll love his children that are in kids' praise and we worship right now. And And I'll love his children that are outside these walls in other places, in other times. Not all of them are lovable. In fact, some of them are just downright boring and a few are obnoxious. And some are just curmudgeons. And one has a grating laugh and one just has this ingratiating manner and And some people I don't want to talk with, and and some I want to talk about behind their backs, and some I want to avoid, and, and some I just want to put in their place. And Peter says, add to your faith, Philadelphia. 
mutual affection, brotherly love, because you all have the same father. See, they're brothers and they're sisters and they're children of the same father. And John just gets real annoying about this. And in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, he says, anyone who says he loves God but doesn't love his brother is a liar. And I really wish that John could have sugarcoated it a little bit, you know? I wish he would have just soft-pedaled that just a little bit because that would have made it a lot easier for me to pick and choose which one of God's children I'm going to love. Which ones am I going to love? Those that look like me and those that act like me and those who like what I like and those who eat where I eat and, and those who have the same opinions that I have and those who vote the same way that I vote and those who drive what I drive. They, they, they do all the things that I do. Those are the ones that I am going to love and everybody else, well, they'll find somebody to love them, but I don't have to. Anyone who says he loves God but doesn't love God's children is a liar. To love God is to love what God loves. And one of the best ways that I, that I saw this expressed this week as I was putting some thoughts together is that Philadelphia is refracted affection. You know, refraction is the process by which an object changes its shape, its size, and appearance by passing through another medium. And so as light passes through a prism, it is separated out into the different spectrums that we're able then to see. When you take a cup of water, you put a pencil inside, and then you try to, to look at that pencil, and it looks all crooked. It looks like the pencil itself has actually been bent because of the way that the, the light is being refracted. Philadelphia is refracted affection. God refracts the thin white thread of our love for him into a thick, vibrant band of love for others. You see, you are incapable, and I am incapable of loving someone else unconditionally. But if I love God first and most, then I can love what he loves. I can love what he loves. And I can, I, I can be able to bear with those that he bears with. And I can be able to forgive the one that, that he also forgives. Because his love is through me. See, oftentimes when we have difficulty with, with others, when we have problems with those who are God's children and, and we are at odds, it isn't necessarily that our love for them is lacking. It's that our love for God is lacking. Or maybe better yet, that, that we are lacking in God's love. That the love that he desires for us to experience, the love that he has lavished upon us, the love that he pours out into our life is not being refracted on others the way that it is supposed to be. The way that it's supposed to be seen. So how should this love be seen? How is it that we should be treating fellow brothers and sisters? I think there's four different expressions. The first is equality. With brothers and sisters, none has a status above the other. It doesn't matter what role you play within the family. As brothers and sisters, there are no favorites. You might remember that James would write about this in his letter to the Christians. And he would say, listen, as believers of our glorious Lord Jesus, as children of the same Father, he says, don't, choose, don't show favoritism. Don't prefer one over the other. Don't give access or privilege to someone at the expense of someone else. You know, we live in a country today that is fractured in many ways. 
Johnny mentioned the wonderful things that he has seen over the last few weeks, things that were taking place with brothers and sisters. But over the last week, there have also been some very painful things that have been seen in our nation. Should not surprise us, our nation is a part of what Scripture calls the world. It's a part of the world and the world's system, and so there are things that take place within our country. There are things that take place within our countrymen. There are things that take place within disciples that are very worldly sometimes. And so we look at the, the fracturedness. And, and one of the things that our, that our country over the last few years has encouraged, I think, is this idea of hyphenation. Where... As countrymen, it's no longer enough to just be an American. You have to be a hyphenated American of some type or fashion. And the hyphenation that you put before American tells something specific about you. It's a way of talking about our identity. But what it's done, it's created an environment of inequality. Because I'm able to play favorites if you're not in my hyphenation. If you're not a part of my group, because my group is my group and it's not your group. And if you're not in my group, then you don't belong and you don't understand. That's the world system. That's what we see that's playing out right now in, our, in the streets of our nation. That's what you see that plays out oftentimes in our politics, the dividing and separating of a society. But in the kingdom of God, it's not to be so. There are no such thing as hyphenated disciples. That's why Paul would write to the church and he would say, in Christ there is no male or female. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free. Because you are all one in Christ Jesus. Equality. And so when you look across just our church family here, more than 900 strong in those who say East Brainerd is the home where I grow spiritually. We are trying to learn what it means, as we've said before, to be a multicultural congregation, realizing that we're made up of very different types of people. People that come from different backgrounds and different countries. And yes, people that, that look different from one another. People that speak different from one another. But because we are part of God's kingdom, we are not allowed to play favorites. And so we are not allowed to make distinctions. And we are not allowed to look and say that we have a white preacher and a black song leader. Not allowed to do that. We have disciples who serve. We have disciples that come to worship. We have disciples that love God and share His grace. And so we seek to overcome the world system of hyphenations and instead come with an equality that only can be found in God. Where God says, I don't look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And so he says, if, if you're going to be a disciple, and if you're going to follow after Jesus, 
then you have to add to your faith brotherly and sisterly love. You got to love who I love. And yeah, they might be a different color and they might come from another country and they might speak a different language and they might drive different cars and they might have different jobs and they might have a different education background and they might vote differently than what you vote and they might act sometimes differently than the way that you act. But God says, if you love me, you love my children and you treat them equal. Here's the second expression of brotherly love. Because there will be equality within the kingdom of God, there must also be unity in the kingdom of God. Jesus prays for all believers in John 17, and he says that that this is going to be a sign that we are children, all of the same Father. Six times in that prayer, Jesus calls God Father, and with each repetition, he intensifies the implication of unity. Just as Jesus and the Father were one, so those whom the Father has adopted as children should be one. My prayer, Jesus says, this is John chapter 17 and verse 20, is that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Christian unity at its deepest and at its simplest is this. Jesus Christ indwells you and he indwells me. We have been joined to the Father through the work of Jesus and the presence of his Spirit. So whatever makes us different could not possibly be greater than what makes us alike. And whatever divides us cannot be possibly stronger than what brings us together. Because if Jesus Christ is with you, and if Jesus Christ is with me, then what we have exceeds everything that we do not. And it is the kingdom of God that is to be examples to all the worldly systems out there. To all the division. And to all the unrest. And to all of the the back and forth into all of the hatred. The kingdom of God should stand as a light and as an example of this is what happens when God's will is done on earth. And it has to start with the disciples. And yet, sadly, let's be honest. It's the disciples of God that oftentimes are the most divided. It's the disciples of God that say, I won't worship with you because you do this and I don't. It's the disciples of God that say, I can't serve with you because you worship over there and I worship over here. It's the disciples of God that say, we can't talk about that subject because, well, I believe one way and you believe another. It's the disciples of God that say, you voted that way and how could you do that because I think we should vote this way and... Friends, if the kingdom of God looks more like the world, then how far have we fallen? If there's no difference between what goes on in the world and what happens within the kingdom, then why be a part of the kingdom at all? Why not just be a part of the world and the world system and let's act like the world does and let's behave in that way and let's draw lines and let's put up boundaries and let's hate and let's divide? Because if there's not going to be a distinction in the kingdom, then there's no reason to even be a part of it. But yet God says there is a difference when my will is practiced on earth just as it is in heaven. 
There is a unity that will take place. And so Jesus pleads and he says, listen, if you are children of God, if you are children of the same Father, then you must show love to one another. Even in your differences. Otherwise, you're not truly kingdom. You're just the world. Third expression is closeness. The imagery of brotherly love implies a warmth of feeling toward one another, a desire for intimacy with one another, a bond that transcends just mere friendship, where we openly, without embarrassment, express the heart. And it might feel awkward doing so sometimes, but we understand that we have a brother or we have a sister who have the same father. And as people grow older, you know, normally we yearn to be closer to those we are family with. We want to go back to the old home place. We, we want to return to reunions. We want to see those that we have lived life with in the past. And hopefully as you are growing older in the faith and as Philadelphia is beginning to well up in you more and more, you continue to scratch out time in your calendar to make sure that you are with God's children. Because that's what's going to happen. It's a natural symptom where you want more and more to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ. You want that closeness. In fact, if you're feeling more distant from the people of God, perhaps it's a sure signal that something in your love for the Father has gone askew. If you don't want to be with God's people, if you don't want to participate in in acts of service and times of praise, if you don't just want to go grab a bite to eat, if you don't want to be there at the ball field, if you don't want to share in anniversaries and birthdays, if you don't want to be there during the times of mourning and loss, then my advice is as quick as you can, come back into a deep abiding love with the Father. Because there should be a desire for us to be together. We should want to see our brothers. We should want to see our sisters. And you say, well, you've never seen my brother or sister that I grew up with. And yet again, that's the difference. You see, God understands in the worldly system, we have brothers and sisters that, you know what, we don't like and we don't get along with and they wrestled with us and they, they bit our ankles when we were little and they locked us in the bathroom and, and they got the last piece of chicken and they, they always yelled shotgun and they made us sit in the floorboard in the back seat and all of these things that your brother or sister did to you. But Peter says you have brotherly love for each other in Christ But it's not like the relationship with your brother or sister. There's still going to be times where you don't get along. There's still going to be times where you are not enjoying one another. But you realize there is a closeness. There is a shared sacrifice. And that you have the same father in God. And so you long to be together. And the final thing. And we'll close. It's servanthood. It's what Johnny spoke of earlier. I think Paul makes this clear in Romans 12 when he talks about each of us serving the other for the sake of the body of Christ. And he would say in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And he uses Philadelphia. And he says, honor one another above yourselves. Love serves. And love honors. And love is practical devotion that seeks the good of the other. And so we have events like Watts and We have the warm coats for cool kids. And we have snack packs. And we hear that somebody is moving and so we show up at the house. Or we have an opportunity to go and and clean out somebody's garage and we go and participate in that. We we go and and cart kids back and forth to ball games or to school because we're, we're trying to be a servant. 
We take people to hospitals. We, we go to grocery stores. We, we do what we can when we can because we realize that there should be a servant heart among us. It's servanthood. It's closeness. It's unity. It's equality. And Peter says it's Philadelphia. I guess if you get one thing today, here's really what I want to leave you with. If we have a common father, then we must have a common love. We must. You can't get around it. If you want to be a disciple and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, everything has been given to you to live a godly life. So add to your faith Philadelphia. Because we share a common father. And so we share a common love. I've asked that Derek come and lead us in this song together. It's going to be our song to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. It's going to be a song that gives you the opportunity to perhaps respond for prayer this morning. Maybe as we've been going through this and talking about these ideas, you've realized that that there has been a lack of love in your heart for a brother or sister in Christ. And you just need to come and just let it be known and, and just pour yourself out before God and We'll pray and take you to the heart of God himself or to the throne room of God. And as you pray and ask for forgiveness, maybe you'd like to be baptized into Christ this morning because of your belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and, and you want to begin this walk of discipleship. That's what, that's what this time is going to be for as we sing a common love. We're going to sing it together. And if you are moved to respond, we hope that you do so. And when we conclude, if you would just remain standing and then we're going to have a time of, we're going to have a time of prayer for our church, for our city, and for our nation. A time of equality and, and unity, a time of closeness and, and servanthood. A prayer for that, that it would well up among God's people and be examples to all those who would see. If you need to respond for prayer, whatever your need might be, we encourage you to come as we sing a common love.